A little bit. All right, I hope it's not just the mics. Ronnie says I need to start wearing this mic. So I'm going to make sure I wear this mic because sometimes he has to turn up the, the preaching so loud he's bothering his neighbors. I don't want that to happen. But uh, praise God that you're all here today. Turn your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. I hope that you have a blessed week. I know a lot of us have uh, all kinds of things that are going on. We're busy. Uh, but I hope that church is, a, is, a, is a, a small amount of time in your week that you get to just center around God, center around the things of God, and uh, enjoy a little bit of blessing. And I hope that my message will be a blessing to you today. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 11. Um, a lot of times I'll be reading in my family devotions, and because I have to apply it to my family, it becomes also another sermon for me. But we find here in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 11, we find the verse that says, But thou, O man, flee these things, and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. I'll repeat those things again. What are they to follow after? Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. And then verse 12, it says, Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Let's start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we're thankful today, Lord, that as we read your word, uh, it always can, uh, can uh, in, inflict our heart and have us to change. And I just ask you, Lord Jesus, as we read this uh, message this morning, we go through your word, uh, Lord, I pray that there be some change of heart here. Lord, I know that sometimes we can become cold and hard-hearted towards the things of you. And I ask you today, Lord Jesus, as we spend a little time in your word, Lord, that you just please bless. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, as I read this point where it says, fight the good fight of faith. How many of you have ever been in a fight before? I've been in a fight. Ronnie, we've been in a fight, haven't we? Few, few of us. Uh, we've we fought, whether it be by word or it be by... Uh, uh, action or by even fisticuffs when we're younger, hopefully, and not when you're older. Uh, but you know what? When we're when we fight, there's a reason we fight. Um, some people fight because of honor. I remember when I was about probably closer to my daughter Chloe's age. She's not in here right now. I was about 12, 13 years old, and there was this boy by the name of Doug DeLong, and there was another boy by the name of Ben Grant. And both Doug DeLong and Ben Grant, I would consider today, would be bullies. They just always were picking on me and treating me wrong. And I would do everything in my, my power to stop them from bullying me. And sometimes that had to deal with throwing my fists, which wasn't right. I'm not agreeing with that. But you know what? I'd get mad at them and I'd get angry. And I remember they would, I remember one time that one of the ball, they were taking their soccer balls and throwing them at my spokes as I was riding down the road. And I got so mad and so angry. And these kids were both higher classmen. One was a senior in high school. And the other one was like ninth or 10th grade. And, and I remember just being so angry at them. And, just, I, and of course, I was a pretty big kid for my age. I, was, I wasn't anybody that uh, would, would be able to be intimidated by, but I still stood my ground. And I threw a few punches, and he threw a few punches. And I remember just tr being so angry at them doing that. I remember being in another fight. You say, Pastor, boy, you were in a lot of fights as a kid. I was. Boy, I tell you what. I was always fighting. I remember when I was a – Brother Sam always makes me laugh. He says, yeah, keep telling those stories because it helps me with my kids. Uh, but it's the truth. Uh, I remember when I was younger, I was 16, 17 years old. There was a boy named Kit Potter, and, and he had said something that I didn't like, and I remember throwing that first punch and just popping him one. And then even in Bible college, you say even in Bible college, yeah, but I remember one time in Bible college, there was a boy that had a problem with stealing 
and he stole from me, and I got in an argument with it, and finally it came to fisticuffs, and I got in a lot of trouble from the dean for that. But we, I learned to fight, and, uh, and not, not that I wanted to fight. It's just something that I did. Um, and I'm not saying that you should fight for, uh, um, as, as I did, for um, your honor or fight something for that nature. But I do think there are some things to fight for. And I'm not talking about fighting with your fists. I'm talking about fighting with your spirit. And uh, as a Christian, there are a lot of things. And it's interesting here, it says in verse 11, it says, oh, oh, man of God, flee these things and follow after what? Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. There's a lot of people today that are fighting for different reasons, aren't there? Their fighting might be for injustice. They feel like they're, they've been injustice or had injustice committed against them. There's other people that might be fighting uh, for a different cause. But each time they fight, they're fighting for something that's here on this earth. They're fighting for something that they feel that they've been uh, unjustly done, uh, uh, caused against. And I think as Christians, we have a different fight that we have to fight. We have a fight that has to deal with our own spirit. We're constantly fighting this flesh. The Bible says very clearly that our flesh, there is no good thing in this flesh. It says that our righteousness is as filthy rags. And as I stand before God someday, I'm going to have to give account of everything that I've done, including the fights that I had in high school and college. But you know what? God gives us more guidelines of things that we need to fight for. He says in verse 12, fight the good fight of faith. It's a good fight. I've seen some fights in my days that were pretty nasty, that are pretty below the belt, as you might say. And I've seen those fights end up in a wrong situation. And people always go away bitter. But listen to me, when you fight the type of fight that God wants you to fight, you're going to be happy. You're going to be at peace. Now, I'm not saying you need to go out there and just rip, roar, and, and uh, throw a few uh, fists and, and uh, kicks and, and punches and, and say ugly names and dirty, dirty uh, communication. What I'm saying is instead you need to make sure that you're living the, the uh, ordinances that God has given us. And how is that? It's these things up here. Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, and patience. Listen, as a Christian, you have some guidelines that you need to follow. Listen, Satan's constantly trying to fight you on things. He's constantly trying to make you do things you don't want to do. And as you do those things, what do you feel like inside? You feel ugly. You feel un, not at peace. As a Christian, you need to take that time and you say, God, please help me fight the good fight. Paul said very clearly, I have what? Fought the fight. I have finished my course. I have what? Kept the faith. As a Christian, you have a responsibility before God and your other Christians that you're being what? Someone that's keeping the faith. Being faithful to what God's given you to do. I've mentioned some things here that I think are very important. There's three things altogether. But first of all, we must fight for our calling. What's your calling in life? I was talking to someone the other day and I think it was my children, and I was talking about uh, my job, and I was talking about how some people are so uh, career-oriented, and there's nothing wrong with being career-oriented. Uh, I, I see some of them that just work so hard to impress the boss. They work so hard to get people to take notice of what they're doing. And I think it's a calling that they've been giving. They feel like they need to put their time and their effort into this job. Listen to me, folks. Oh, you could work your entire life and you could be uh, the best employee you could be and you could get all the raises in the world and you could be an important person in the company. But when you get to the end of your life, what do you have? You have nothing. 
You stand before a holy God and he says, what did you do with your life? What did you do with the time I gave you? You're going to have to say, I did nothing. Why? Because it was all about that job. It was all about that money. It was all about the things that you wanted in life. We have a calling. What is our calling? Turn to Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 1. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 1. Our calling is a heavenly calling. A heavenly calling. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 1 says, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. It's a heavenly calling. What's a heavenly calling? You say, Pastor, what are you talking about? What is a heavenly calling? Well, number one, being heavenly means it's not of this world. Now, there's a lot of callings. There's people... We used to have some teachers in here. We had a teacher, uh, Miss Paulus. She came here for years. Uh, she was a teacher. She taught for many years in the public school system. Uh, my wife back there, she's a teacher, right? She teaches our young people. She taught, uh, tutored in the public school system for a while. Uh, she even st- student taught in a in a Christian school system. Well, listen to me. That teacher's got a calling, don't they? As a police officer, if you go in today as a police officer, God, Lord have mercy on you. You got a lot on your plate, don't you? You got a lot that you have to deal with. It's literally what? It's a calling. But those are callings that are here on this earth. When I was called into the ministry, that was a heavenly calling. Brother Sam, you might not think it, but God chose me. Did you know that? God chose me to be a pastor. And I look at that calling as something important. I look at that calling as that is my primary responsibility as a person here on this earth is to be a pastor. What is your heavenly calling? What is something that God's given you that you know that you need to do on this this earth? Something that you have a responsibility to do? Is your heavenly calling something that's super important? Or is it just something that you kind of do when you have nothing else to do? As a Christian, I know I have been uh, not that perfect. I know there's been times when I've neglected my heavenly calling. I know there's times as a Christian that I've not been faithful to the things that God's given me to do. And why is that? Because I've been too concerned about my earthly calling. Someone was talking to me earlier. I have this thing happen. I have this thing happen. I just get a little stressed out about it. I've been there, folks. I know what it's like when you can't pay the bills. I know what it's like when you're trying to stretch a dollar. I know what it's like when you need to make things happen. You say, how is this going to happen? That's when you turn to Jesus. That's when you ask him, God, can you help me with this? Sometimes we just need to turn our lives over to him and ask him to do the things that we are so stressed out to do. Some of you have uh, situations at home that you're dealing with. You're, you're working with your children. You're trying to, you say, I can't do this. This is too hard. Every time I try to do it, something bad happens. It just doesn't work out the way I want it to. Listen to me. That's when you turn back to Jesus and say, God, I need your help. I need your help. Help! You've called me to do it. And as a heavenly calling, listen to me, you realize that it's not of you. It's something heavenly. Heavenly calling not only does it mean that it's not of this world, but it's also that you can't be obtained by the flesh. Listen, if you're not saved in here and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you don't have one heavenly calling whatsoever. When you stand before God someday, he's going to say, depart from me, curse it into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Listen, you have no hope for heaven. Why? Because you're still in your sins. Bible is very clear that everybody that's ever born here on this earth is a sinner. 
I don't care how good you've been. I don't care how much you've kept the Ten Commandments. I don't care how many good things that you've done. You're still responsible for that sin. Until you turn to Jesus Christ, until you give your life to Jesus Christ, there is nothing that will get you to heaven. Not good works, not giving money, not uh, uh, being the best person you can be. Listen, the only way that you can get to heaven is through the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son. Now, as I say that it's not a cannot be obtained by the flesh, a lot of people try to operate their heavenly calling by the flesh. Listen, sometimes people try to raise their kids by the flesh. I was talking to someone the other day about raising or disciplining your child. Listen to me. When you discipline your child out of anger, you're doing it out of the flesh. The Bible never intended for parents to do things out of anger. You're yelling at your child. You're upset at your child. And because they've done something that's against your will, listen to me, you're not showing an example of Jesus Christ. We have a Heavenly Father who loves us. The Bible says, even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And as we stand before our child and we have that spirit of anger, you've got to ask yourself, why do you have that spirit of anger? Is it because you're operating out of the flesh? Are you operating out of the dictates of what you think you should do? Or you're operating out of the dictates of what God wants you to do. What did God want you to do with that person? That young person is looking to you. And you know what? They might be the only example of God they'll ever have in their lives. You say, really, brother? Yep. And you're operating out of the flesh and you're getting angry out of the flesh. and you're listening. My daughter's seen me get mad, haven't you? The Diet Coke incident, right? We always name that Diet Coke incident. I think I told this story a while ago, but it's worth telling again. I remember when I was come home, and my daughter, Brooklyn, she's, she's not the, uh, the most uh, graceful person. She gets that from her father. But uh, I come home, and I was, I was craving Diet Coke. You know, and that's why. It's because I was craving that Diet Coke, that wicked drink, you know. I'm sorry, I had one last night. I couldn't resist. But you know, I lost my taste for it, believe it or not. But I come home, I really wanted that Diet Coke. And boy, that Diet Coke, just it was just there. And, and as I poured that uh, glistening glass and, and ice and, and then the Diet Coke out of the can, and I could just see the bubble coming, I just could not wait to get my lips on that glass and drink that Diet Coke. My daughter over there, it was the last Diet Coke in the house. La- Granny B, it was the last Diet Coke. As I sat there and I was getting ready to drink, my daughter's over here, and she's, of course, she's still short in the stuff, and uh, so she has to get up on the counter to get her cup. And what does she do in the process? She knocks my Diet Coke all over the kitchen floor. I tell you what, if you were a fly on the wall, you'd say, is that Pastor? Woo! That man needs some needs some help. Boy, I was angry. I was yelling. I was. I, I wanted to pick up some things and throw things. I was mad. You just destroyed my diet coke. Tells you that I had an addiction problem, huh, amen, brother. But you know what I learned after that? That I had a temper. I know. I knew that I had a temper way before that. But I learned that I didn't control it. I was letting my anger get the best of me. And as a Christian, listen to me. If you're operating out of the flesh, you're going to be just like your pastor. You're going to be somebody who's just out of control, living in the moment, living in, the, in this area of, of, uh, of uh, fleshly appetite and lust, 
Let your attitude get out of control. Let your spirit get out of control. Why? Because you're not obtaining this by flesh. You're supposed to obtain it by the spirit. The Bible says that we are not to obey the lust of the flesh. Number three, not only is it because it's a heavenly calling, is it not obtained by the flesh, but a heavenly calling means that it's a constant contact with our heavenly father. Listen to me, as a Christian, your responsibility is to make sure that you're spending time in, your, in God's Word. You're spending time reading it and spending time uh, praying and asking God for things. When's the last time you asked God for something special? Well, I'm not just saying that you sat in the car and someone said, Hey, pray for so-and-so, they're having problems. Or pray for so-and-so, they're sick. And you said, God, please help them. No, I'm saying you spend 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour in time in prayer and asking God for things. Let me ask you this question. Don't raise your hand. How many would say, Brother Harold, I spent every day this week. Just think, I'm not asking you to raise your hand. I spent every day this week in prayer. And if you say no, ask yourself, when's the last time you spent every day in prayer this week? When's the last time you spent a full week in prayer? And then you start asking yourself, why aren't I getting my prayers answered? Why aren't I seeing God work? Why aren't I seeing God work in my church and the people around me and people to be saved? It's for that very reason right there. There's no constant contact with the power source. Listen, I, I've worked my entire life with electronics and things of that nature. When you don't have the power source, what happens with the, with the thing you're trying to power? Does it turn on? No. Oh. It dies, right? There's no juice. It's not going to happen. Same thing with the Christian life. When you disconnect from the power source, guess what's going to happen? You die. You shrivel up on the vine. I've gotten this new property that I've purchased, and, and I've been trying to work it, and I'm trying to get brush cleaned up. And it's interesting because I have this pile of brush. It's probably about as, as, about as long as this this uh, uh um, what do you call it? Platform. There we go. Uh, platform. And as I and I watched that, I piled that brush pretty high. And those brush, when I first pulled that thing out, you got green leaves. What happened after a few few weeks of that green brush? Yeah, it started to shrivel, didn't it? What happened to the leaves? It started to turn brown, didn't they? And listen, as a Christian, when you're disconnected and you're not having that constant contact with what God wants you to do, listen to me, you're no different than what happens to those, those green leaves when they're disconnected from the source. You're just going to shrivel up and die. You're not going to see the true success that you have through Jesus Christ. Secondly, not only do we have a must fight for our calling, but secondly, I've mentioned this already, so I'll be quick. We must fight for our families. Turn to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. Now, there's a whole bunch of stuff here. I might not read all of it. But there's some, some commandments that comes up with this. And it, it, some things that he gave to the little children, gave to the fathers, and gave to the young men. It says in verse 12, I write unto you little... or uh, Let's start in verse 11. He that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because the darkness hath blinded his eyes. Verse number 12, I write unto you little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I write unto you fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you little children, because ye have known the father. I have written unto you fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. 
I have written unto you young men because ye are strong and the word of God abideth in you and ye have overcome the wicked one. Listen, as a Christian, you have a responsibility to your families. You have a calling. Men, in here, if you're a man and you have a family, listen to me, God's called you. Ladies, ladies, listen, you have a calling. Children, believe it or not, you have a calling. Everyone in here has a calling with our families. It's interesting that God was not dismissive of the little children. He's telling them, listen, you got something to do. You got something from this. He told the fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning, I write unto you young men because you have overcome the wicked one. Listen to me. As a father, as a mother, you have a responsibility to show your children down the right path. Man, think of the things that you could have done if you were able to take that path that was different that they have an opportunity to. Your children, I see a couple of young ones down here. What, what's your baby's name again? Anna. Anna or Hannah? I keep on getting Anna. Anna is so precious. She's such a sweet little baby. I got little Nolan. He's just a cutie pie. I tell you, you got little Asher, right? Just a cutie pie, right? But you know what? Those little boys or girls will grow up to be something. What the question is, is what are they going to be? Are they going to be good boys and girls that love Jesus and want to serve Jesus and really just want to help others? Or is their desire to themselves? As they walk around, are they going to be someone that's a convict who's going to be thrown in prison? Or are they going to be someone that loves Jesus? You have a responsibility to what? Influence those children. Now, some children, of course, everybody has a free will. Everybody has a responsibility to stand before God someday on their own behalf and say, yes, I did follow your will, or no, I did not follow your will. But as a parent, you have a great responsibility to influence those kids on a right path, a path that's right, a path that's exciting, a path that's going to serve them right. And as you stand before God someday, listen to me, as he said, fathers, because you have known from the beginning. Listen, you, some of you have been saved later in life. You know where God has brought you and how far God has brought you. Listen to me as you stand before your children and you, t you correct them and, and you uh, show them the right path. Listen, tell them, look, I don't want you to do this because this is going to happen to you if you don't. You give your ki kids the opportunity to see what's going to happen. Number one, we must fight for our families because our families need Christ. Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 6. This verse right here, so many people don't like it because it says there's accountability for your children. Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 6. It says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will what? Not depart from it. Boy, I've heard so many people try to uh, misalign that. I heard pastor once tell me, just give him a taste for it. That's all you need to give. Now listen to me. We do have free will. A kid can very easily decline Jesus Christ. But listen to me. If you're a good example as a father or as a mother, listen to me. They're more likely to want to follow Christ. The Bible says train up a child in the way he should go. What's the way that he should go? The way that he should go is the one that the Bible produces. The Bible is very clear that there's a narrow way and there's a broad way. The broad way leads to destruction and many there go in their act. But narrow is the way that leadeth unto life. As a Christian, you stand before God as a father, as a mother. Listen to me. You have the best opportunity to train your children up for God. If we cannot... Now, how many know old Mayor Daly? What was his first... What was the first guy's name? They called him the boss. Richard Daly, right? Not, not the junior. 
the senior, and one of the phrases, and they asked him about nepotism. I always love this. They asked him about nepotism in the government and how that he had all his family working for him in the government. And his response, you remember what his response was? You ever heard this response? He says, if you can't help your family, who can you help? Now, I don't think that's a good response for somebody in the government. But listen to me. Someone that's a Christian, if you can't help your family, who can you help? Huh? Who can you help? That's right. That's right. Your kids are going to be your first fruits. Your kids are going to... You say, I had someone come to me and say, Pastor, we should be soul winning. I agree with them completely. I think soul winning starts at home. Soul winning starts with witnessing your children. I got two young ones that are not been made professions of faith. They need to be saved. Listen to me. The only way they're going to be saved is by daddy showing them the gospel. Every one of my children have heard the gospel over and over and over. They probably could get up here, Ronnie. They could probably get up here and preach to you just as well as I could. Why? Because they've heard it a zillion times. But you know what? They're not saved. There's a couple of them that are not saved. I have to give them that opportunity. They have to make the decision. Listen to me. As Christians, we need to make sure that we are reaching our families for Christ. If our families cannot see Christ in our relationship, who are they seeing? If they can't walk out the doors in the morning and say, Boy, Mommy and Daddy sure do love Jesus. That's all they talk about. Or instead, no, I'm not trying to get on your sports you sports people. Of course, some of you are having withdrawals, right? No more socks, no more cubs, right? But you know what? It's all Mommy and Daddy can talk about is that uh, sports team. All they can talk about is the Bears, the Bulls, the Cubs, the White Sox, the Blackhawks. Boy, that's who I want to be when I grow up is one of those guys. Boy, Daddy and Mommy sure do spend a lot of time talking about them. But you know what? If you're all you are is talking about Jesus, and not only are you talking about Jesus, but you're not only talking the talk, but you're walking the walk. You're an example to your children. They see it. And you know what? They'll develop that same love. Now, my little boy, Nolan, I tell you what, I can't wait till he gets a little older. We're going to go to car shows. We're going to go see some things. Uh, Where's Brother Glenn? Brother Glenn's back there. Brother Glenn is totally different than his dad, right? Brother Glenn was just opposite. He's more like his mother in in the sense that he's very very, um, ornate and crafty, and he can can make things that are uh, unbelievable. I mean, if you ever saw the uh, invitations to his his daughter's wedding, I'm just kind of blown away by it still. Just amazing, right? And Brother Glenn's like, all right, Pastor, that's enough. But uh, I, I tell you what, he was different than your dad, didn't he? And he was the oldest one, right? He was probably hoping. Based, I remember seeing an old picture of him in a, in, a, in a baseball uniform. And I thought, boy, did his dad get it wrong. Totally wrong. And Brother Glenn's not a big baseball person, not a big uh, White Sox. Now, you look at Zach, he's totally different than his dad. He loves baseball. He loves sports. You know what? I hope my little boy grows up someday. And Not that I, I won't love him any differently, but, you know, I hope he likes cars. I'm a big car guy. I'm a big gearhead. We had the other day, Cassie took a picture of him. He was on the mower, and the first thing he wanted to do was drive that tractor. You know, I was excited. I thought, well, maybe, maybe he is. Maybe he's going to be one of these boys. You know, maybe he's going to be a big gearhead. I don't know. But listen to me. Your kids tend to love the things that you love. My dad, I'm in a lot of ways. I have the same desires that my dad had. Uh, he has a. I'm a big, big fan of tools. If you know your pastor, I love tools. I love working with tools. My dad's the same way. He had a garage full of tools when we were growing up. I love working with those things. Listen to you, your parents. you got an opportunity to what? To give your kids the loves that you have, the passions that you have. 
And that's only through example. Number three, not only do our families, or number two, not only do our families need Christ, but our families lose focus when we are regenerate, when our, our regenerated uh, people that are in the family lack vision. The Bible says where there's no vision, the people what? Perish. Perish. You have a vision for your family, I hope. Now, I'm not just talking about mommies and daddies. I'm talking about grandpas and grandmas. And I'm also talking about sons and daughters. Listen to me. You have a responsibility to have a vision for your family. Have a vision what you can do. You say, brother, how can my mom, how can I as a, as a daughter or a son be able to have a vision for my family? Listen to me. You take God's word and you apply it. You know what's going to happen? People are going to take notice. They're going to say, wow, that Brooklyn, she sure does love me, doesn't she? Why is she so loving towards me? Why does she do the dishes for me? Amen. Why does she start doing those things that are necessary? Maybe you're an adult and you're no longer in the home and you say, boy, I'd like to see a vision for my family. What kind of things are you doing for your family? I love Cassie's parents and I love her, her um, in-laws. Not all the time do I always on the same page with them, but we try to do things for them, don't we? We go out there and meet them once or twice a year. Why? Because I really believe that God has given us the family that we have. And we have a responsibility to be a, a, a witness, an example to them. What else is important? Our families are likely to follow the flesh if there's no one praying to help them redirect their desires. Again, I go back to this idea of spending time in prayer. How long have you spent time praying for your family this week? It should be the first thing off your lips. Should be, yeah, please help my family. Pray for those that are unsaved. Be with my wife. Be with my husband. Be with my grandchildren. Be with my grandparents. Whatever it may be, God wants to work in your family. Number four, our families need extra firepower through family devotions to God. Now listen to me. If you have anybody in your family, it's important to spend a little time in family devotions. You say, what is family devotions? I'm not going to stand here and tell you that I always love my father's family devotions. My dad would have a 45-minute family devotion time. Us boys would be so tired. And then after that, Granny B, he'd have us all stand up and sing a hymn at 5.45 a.m. You want to know what it sounded like at 5.45 a.m.? It did not sound pretty. I remember even I had a friend come over and he said, oh, I can't wait to go spend time at Harold and Andy's house until he had family devotions with us at 5.45 a.m. I remember standing there and saying, oh, boy, I tell you what, I tell you what, this is interesting. But you know what we find out? Brother Oscar, could you help Miss Cassie? Okay. But you know what we found out? He didn't enjoy it as much. What did he find? He found out that singing at 5.45 in the morning was no fun. But you know what? One of the things I enjoy about family time, family devotions, is we get to gather around God's Word. I see a lot with my children. Now, some of my girls, I go around the room and you say, what, what is family time? It's spending 10, 15 minutes in God's Word and applying it to the family. I'm not there preaching against their sin. I'm not preaching against everything that they've done that day. Uh, as my mother would tell me, some, or my wife uh, would tell me about sometimes about her family devotions. It was a preaching service. Uh, but you know what? What we found was that as the more time that we spend in God's word, the more time that we spend as a family, we start seeing things together. We start seeing things that we need to change as a family. One of the things I love about it is I'll go around the room and I'll say, what did you get out of this? Now, 
my <laughs> my twins who are who are just just barely turning or they're six. They'll be seven in November. They tell you ask them some application there. You think you're traveling on a different planet? You got that out of God's word? Wow. Uh, even my uh, daughter Adeline, as I have to ask her multiple times, where did you find that from today's devotions? But she'll give me some woo, something that she got out of it. Okay, we'll move on from that. But you know what I find is we all get something from God's word. It's important that as a family that it's a unified effort to worship God. Not only is it a, a unified uh, effort to worship God, but also it's a uh, you should be spending time in family devotions not through his word, but also through ministry. When you as a family get together and you see, again, this is part of supplying that passion for your children and for your loved ones. When your family sees you get excited about going out and being a soul winner, when your family sees you get excited about serving others, and what do I mean by serving others? Going to a food bank and helping some needy people, that's going to see that they have, they're going to show your passion, your love. It's important. Not only... Do our families need that extra firepower? But our families need godly leadership. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. It says, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You say, what does that mean, pastor? You know how you can provoke your family to wrath? Is by saying one thing and doing another. Saying one thing and doing another. You say, have your devotions, and then you don't have them. You say, come to church, and then you don't come to church. You say, make sure you give your, your tithe, and you don't give your tithe. Your kids see that. You know that? They do. Uh, my dad had much, much of, he had tons of faults, and he'll be the first to tell you, it's the grace of God that any of those kids turned out for, for Jesus. But I'll tell you this much. One of the things I did learn from my father was his consistent time in God's Word. Well, I'll tell you what. I'd get up. It didn't matter what time I'd get up. He'd be there reading his Bible. He'd be there praying. And I know he prayed for me. Listen to me. As a father, as a mother, you have responsibility before God. As a husband, as a wife. You have a responsibility before God to spend that adequate time in prayer. Don't be someone that causes anger in your spouse's heart. Don't be someone that causes anger in your children's heart because of your inconsistent walk with God. It's important. The Bible says here in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, that you're submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Many times we have a bunch of family members that just don't submit to each other. What do you mean? You mean you're just a big pushover? No, what I'm saying is, is that your philosophy is in life is trying to love each other in a way that shows respect to each other, but doesn't show the flesh. Say, how does that work out? Come here, Brooklyn. Brooklyn's my example because she's my only person. Well, my wife's here too. I won't embarrass my wife. Now, I, I know this incident with the, the Diet Coke, right? We talked about the Diet Coke, right? Now, what would have been a better way for Dad to deal with Brooklyn with the Diet Coke? What would have been a better way? You did everything okay. You just messed up. Right? I, as a person, need to submit to her. I need to worry about what she feels towards this situation, don't I? 
I need to love her just like she loves me. And as she spilled that Coke and me being angry because my flesh didn't get what it wanted, I need to worry about what she needs and her spirit. When you're dealing with your children, you're dealing with your spouse, you're dealing with a loved one, how do you deal with them? Are you submitting to what they need? Or instead, are you submitting to yourself? That's the only person you need to submit to. Someone that only submits to themselves, they're going to be just like my spirit was with my daughter, Brooklyn. I was angry and out of control. But you know what? Someone that has a spirit of Christ is going to say, how can I love on that person? They did me wrong, but that doesn't mean i got to do them wrong. That was one of Adeline's applications last night. Just because someone does you wrong doesn't mean you got to do them wrong back. But you know what? The important thing here is what we got to understand is submitting. And leadership in the home starts. They'll see, Brother Sam, you know what? Your kids will see the way that you live. And they'll say, wow, dad is kind to me no matter what I do. He still loves me. Maybe he disciplines me, but he still loves me. And I see that. And you know what's going to happen? <laughs> Sammy's going to be like that to Samantha. I've seen it in my own children's life. No, they're not perfect. And they still have a long ways to go. But you know, I've seen some success in that area. Minimal. <laughs> but I've seen some success. I've seen where they do things because they've seen how daddy or mommy reacts. But you know what they also do? When I'm not submitting one to another, they act the same way. I've seen my daughter Chloe. She is the splitting image of, his, of her mother. But she's, she can, she can, woo. She's got a temper. Woo. You cross your sister the wrong way, boy, oh boy, you watch out. In Brooklyn down here, she sure knows how to push the buttons. Before long, guess what happens? What are you doing? You ah! said, what just happened? Someone was not submitting to I even dealt with that this morning. I'd pray for your pastor. I have five girls and a minimal amount of clothes. And uh, every time we have clothes, we have clothes fights all the time. Brother Sam, be thankful that you had a mix of boys and girls. And, uh, you know, my younger, and then I got twins on top, twin girls. Pray for people that have twin girls. It really is a struggle. <laughs> I remember this morning as we were getting ready for church, I heard, rah, 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 rah. What's going on? She's going to wear my clothes that I was going to wear today. And I had to take him aside and say, All right, let's repeat Proverbs chapter 13, verse 10. Only by pride cometh contention, but with the well advised is wisdom. I said, Who's having contention here? Who's having pride? Who's not submitting one to another? Okay, Dad. I don't know. So they walked away. I think they still had some fighting going on there. But you know what? As a Christian, when you live by faith and you do what God's expecting you to do and, and you're pleasant, you're pleasant. Just because your child does it wrong doesn't mean you lose your mind. But you're pleasant with them. Hey, you've done wrong here. Let me help you. I've got to show you something here. This is not the way to go. Listen to me. Your kids are going to see that. The Bible says to, to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Is your testimony reflect Jesus Christ in how you deal with your children? If it's not, it's something you need to correct. Number three, not only do we need to fight for our families, but we must fight for our church. We must fight for our church. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. says, these things I write unto thee, 
hoping to come to thee shortly. But if I tarry long that thou mayest know how thou oughtest behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the what? The pillar and the ground of truth. Okay. What did the Bible say about the church? Pillar and the ground of truth. Now, is there a lot of out there that are not pillar and grounds of truth? Yes, there are. You can go to any modern church today and you'll find some uh, false things because they're not using God's word. Okay? But as Christians, we need to fight for our church. Our church is an important place. We say, well, I got friends here. I have loved ones here. I have people that come to church here and part of our services. My question is to you, as you're dealing with these things and you're, you're wondering about these things, could this church change? You think about the standards and convictions that we hold. Could these church, could this church drift from those things? They could, couldn't they? As a Christian, we need to be careful that we're not doing that. We need to fight for against false doctrine. Chapter Jude, chapter 1, verse 3. Jude, if you don't know where Jude's at, it's the last part of your Bible. It's right before Revelation. And Jude, chapter 1, and verse 3. Even in Paul's time, of course, this is Jews writing it, but back in the, the early disciples' times, there were problems. Problems with false doctrine. He says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly, what? Contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. There seemed to be some uh, constant variation that was coming out of the church, wasn't there? There are people that had false doctrines that were coming out of the church. Listen to me. If you don't know your Bible, if you don't know the doctrines of the Bible, if you haven't spent time being, as, the, as 1 Timothy says, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. If you don't know God's word, don't, oh man, I'll tell you what, the worst thing you could ever do, and you're having a discussion with someone, and, and that discussion gets heated and says, well, my pastor says, Oh, don't ever say that. Don't ever say that. Don't say my pastor says. Why? Because what your pastor should be saying is from God's word. Amen. You need to go directly to the source. Nobody's going to believe it just because your pastor says it. I'm just Harold Teasdale. I'm nothing special except God's given me a calling to preach his word. Listen to me. Your word is more important than what your pastor says. God's word is more important. As you stand before that person and you're giving them an account of what God wants you to do and all you can say your pastor says reflects poorly on your spirit and your testimony. Know God's word. Defend God's word. Stand up for God's word. Today there are so many people. I saw the other day where someone was taking the American flag and, and, and they were taking God's word and they were burning it. They were burning God's word. This is a precious book. You say, how precious is it? Men died for it. That's how precious it is. Men, many men died for this word. Even today. Back in the 90s, in the 80s, in the, even in the 2000s, there's been men that have died for God's word. Is that important? Sure is. As a Christian, don't let false doctrine invade your family, invade your church. You know why it invades the church? Because people are not diligent about knowing what God's word says. They're too busy watching YouTube. They're too busy watching Netflix. They're too busy watching their latest and greatest cable television. 
They're too busy watching what everybody else is saying on Facebook. They don't know what God's word says for themselves. Not only must we fight for our church because of false doctrine, but we must fight for our church in a sense of modernism. A sense of modernism. What is modernism, Pastor? Well, modernism is basically taking the laws of God and twisting it to fight or to fit today's society. What do you mean? I'm not saying applying it. I'm saying they're literally taking God's word and taking it apart to fit whatever science or whatever the modernists have said today. And I think this is interesting. How many ever heard of prosperity gospel? Brother Sam, you've, you've talked to me about it. This verse right here describes it. I'll turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 3. There's a bunch of preachers out there today that's saying the only way that you're going to see success is how much you can get in money. only way you're going to see success is how much you're going to get in your uh, uh, 401k. The only way that you're going to see success is what kind of house you have and what kind of car you drive. I think the Bible has something to say about that. It says in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 3, If any man teach otherwise and consent not to the wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting upon questions and strives of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, and evil surmising. Listen to me. Have you run into someone like that? Their concept and their doctrine is not about loving others and caring about others. What is their doctrines and concept? Themselves. Look at me. Look at what I know. Right? Knowledge buffeted up. It says here in verse 8. I'm sorry. In verse uh, uh, 5, it says, Perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth. Supposing that what? Gain is godliness. Uh-oh, does that sound a little bit like the prosperity gospel of today? Sure does. From such withdraw thyself. It says, don't even be a part of it. Verse 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. When you're godly and you can see God work and you can be satisfied with that, it's great gain. Verse 7, for we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we carry nothing out of it. How many of you ever heard that phrase? We were going across this in family devotions and we both looked, me and my wife looked at each other and we said, boy, isn't that funny how many people have said that and don't even realize they're quoting scripture? Right? It came straight from Bible. It says here, and have food and raiment, let us therewith be content. But they which will, will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, unto many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Money is a is an important factor. How many could live without money? Nobody? Huh? Live without money? We're going to have a barter system, amen. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna barter some cheese, and he's gonna give me Sam's gonna give me some eggs, amen. No, that's not how it works. You have to have money to work today's society, don't you? You go out there and you try to uh, sell it on good looks, maybe some of you get away with it. But you know what? My good looks, I walk into McDonald's and say, hey, does this, this, this help me get a Big Mac? And they're going to say, nope, nope. They're going to say, you got to get some money, buddy. As a Christian, you need to understand that, yeah, you do need money to survive, but how much? How much? Today's world says you need to have as much as you can get. 
You know, the old is the Israelites, Andrew, they know what they used to do? God gave them manna, right? Manna from heaven. What did they do? They hoarded it, right? Kind of like toilet paper today, right? They walked around. They got as much manna as they could get. They were just putting, putting more and putting more and putting more. And God says, wait a minute, you greedy, you greedy people. What's your problem? What happened to that manna? What happened? It rotted. It rotted and stank. I wonder if God feels the same way about your money that you stored up for yourself and not helping others. It's interesting. I don't know if it's in this part of the verse, but it says here, uh, <laughs> ready to, I forget, Cassie, you remember where, that, where we read that? It was yesterday. Uh, it was talking about people that have a lot of money. It says you need to be ready to distribute. Isn't that funny? Ready, what is it? Oh, I'm sorry, verse 18. It says, they, that they do good, that they be rich in good works. And what does it say? Ready, ready to distribute. What does that mean? Man, you get an extra 400 bucks, 500 bucks in your pocket. Boy, how can I help someone else? There are some people in this church that do that. I'm, I'm thankful for them. That's a good sign of someone that loves Jesus. Why? Because they're willing to help others. That's important. You've got to be ready to distribute. You know why people get rich and they just get all this money and they just want to get more and more and more? They keep trying to fill that void. Man, I can't tell you. The Bible says it's more blessed to give than to what? We say that, but how much does it mean to you? How much time have you tried to give to someone else? How much money have you tried to give someone someone else? How many goods have you tried to give to someone else? God is always looking for someone else to help. God's giving you that extra money. Why? To help others. You ask yourself, how much have I been giving to others? Is it all been about me? Sense of modernism says what? I need to have as much money. I need to have as much glory. I need to have as much uh, uh, honor given upon me. No, as a Christian, our honor and glory comes to someone but Jesus Christ. Number, uh, letter C, our church must fight against unity. Is there something worth fighting for? Yep, it's the unity of the church. You know what's interesting? We're a multicultural church. You know that? There's multiple, multiple different races, multiple different uh, backgrounds. But you know what's sweet about it? Is we all love each other. We should anyway, right? Maybe there's somebody that doesn't love someone in here, but I hope not. I hope we have that love and, and that language. I've known Oscar. How long have I known you, Oscar? Almost 30 years. Has it been 30 years? 1997? 23 years. Long time, right? You know what? I've, I've often called him my other brother that I never had. Why? Because we've been through it all. God has blessed us. God has blessed us and he's helped us along the way and he's helped us encourage each other. I appreciate Brother Oscar. Even though Brother Oscar came from a different background, he came from a different situation than I did. He came from, even from a different country than I did. I praise God for him. Why? Because he has been faithful to Jesus Christ. And you know what? As a Christian, you need to be careful with the unity of the church. The church is a very fragile thing. You know what's interesting is that I've been through church splits on silly things. Silly things. I've heard of church splits over the color of the carpet. That's silly. Do you know why? Because literally people have taken and they forgot about the important thing that we are all draws us together, and that is the love of Jesus Christ. It's the love of Jesus Christ that's the special bond that brings us together. 
The Bible is very clear that no height, no depth can separate us from the love of Christ. And if you have that love, it's going to make you love the brother, the Bible says. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 3. You want to see a recipe for unity? You want to see a recipe uh, for unity and, and a bond of peace? Turn to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 3. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, there is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But to every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. One more verse. Turn to Psalms chapter 133, verse 1. Psalms chapter 133 and verse 1. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Brother and sister in Christ, there's nobody special, more special in my life than this church. I really have no other social, literally Andrew, the only social gathering I have here, the only social uh, fellowship I have is here at Garfield Ridge Baptist Church. Do I have other people in my life that could do that, could fulfill that need? Yeah. I got neighbors. I got people at the community. But that's not the person that really fulfills my needs. It's these folks here that I love and I care for. And I hope to see them continue in the faith. It's only through the love of Jesus Christ that's brought to my heart that I have that love for you folks. So let me ask you, as you fight for things, do you think the unity of the church is important? Do you think your families are important? Do you think that your calling is important? Listen to me. You can walk away from this message. You can say, eh, that's just pastor. Or you can walk away from this message and say, boy, I need to start developing these three things that I need to fight for. I need to strive unto, as the Bible says, strive unto blood. Meaning you're going you're gonna, to, not that you're going to do physical harm to yourself, but you're going to physically work towards that end. I hope that's your goal and that's your, your purpose. As Cassie comes and plays the piano this afternoon or this morning.